God's Word this morning. It's a second in a series uh, on the life of Solomon. I'm calling it the God Pursuit. Last week we saw actually God's pursuit of Solomon. That happens before we pursue him. He comes after us. And today I want to talk about responding to your past because this becomes the big subject in the first half of 1 Kings chapter 2. Responding to your past. Your past, if I may state the obvious, is everything that brings you up to right now. And uh, because that is so significant, it's who you are right now that will probably shape what you are in the next minute, in the next day, in the next week. What we do with our past is incredibly important. Uh, It's what has shaped us to now. And God's not indifferent to your past. I don't know what you think about your past, but God has a word for your past. And we're going to find it in the most fascinating way in this second chapter of 1 Kings. David hasn't quite died yet. He's the king of Israel. But he's already in chapter 1, as we saw last week, appointed his, one of his sons, Solomon, to be the next king. So verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son, He said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. That means he's going to die. But he said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires of you. I want you to walk into your future with strength and with obedience to the Lord. In fact, that's what he says. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of God. Of Moses. So Solomon gets his marching orders. And then David does the most fascinating thing. David will take Solomon on a journey into his own past, David's own past, and ask him to deal with some issues that were really part of David's past but could affect Solomon's future. And he raises what I call three questions when dealing with with our past. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a different message. I'm going to have three lists of five. I know that almost sounds threatening. But I'm going to have three lists of five things because there's going to be three questions about our past. And I want you, if you're in the process of writing a life mission statement right now, one of our board members did a wonderful enrichment for us last Tuesday night, Jeremy Melton, on just reflecting that habit of reflecting on previous six months and 12-month periods in our lives. What can we take from that? This would be a wonderful grid for you for self-reflection as you set new goals, whatever it be. Or if you're just flat out feeling stuck right now in life. Maybe what we'll walk through today quickly, but hopefully clearly will help you. Because David is going to illustrate for us the three questions we need to ask about our past if we're going to move forward. And let me up front give you those three questions. This is the structure of the message today. The first question is what needs to go? What from my past needs to go? What do I need to get rid of? The second question is what do I need to keep? What needs to stay? It's not just, see, in your past are some wonderful things, not just some bad things. And some of those things, if anything, you need to strengthen them. They, They need to stay. Some things need to go. Some things need to stay. And some things don't fit in either category. It's like we don't even know what to do with them. And all we can say is some things just need more time. 
They just need more time to work out as God helps us. I once heard Dr. Wood, who we laid to rest here on Friday, I once heard him talk about these three things, although he's mainly talking to leaders, and I can't remember the wording he used. I kind of came up with my own, but, but this is an incredibly insightful moment as now one, two, three, what needs to go, what needs to stay, and what needs more time. Let's walk through it. Let's start with that first question. What needs to go? Here's how David approached it, verse 5. Verse 5, after giving him the marching orders we just read, he says to Solomon, now you yourself, you know, you know, you, you know about Joab, Joab. You, you know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me. What he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, who were Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of, son of Jeter, or Yater. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime, as if in battle, and with that blood, as a way of symbolically speaking of the guilt he brought on himself, he, he stained his belt around his waist and his sandals on the on his feet with their blood. So, Solomon, deal with them according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. Now, Joab had been one of his trusted uh, team members and military commanders, but Joab went the wrong direction in his life, and he turned out to be a cold-blooded murderer and, the, and especially Abner and Amasa, he killed in cold blood when it was not wartime, it was peacetime. And he, in David's mind, was guilty of the death penalty. He was guilty of, of a capital crime that required blood for blood. And so he says, deal with him. And, and, and there's, there's, there's some strategic reasons because if Abner was around, if Joab was around for very long, he would seriously be undermining Solomon's rule and probably launch a coup against him. And he said, here's somebody from my past that could seriously complicate your future, but it's also true he's a cold-blooded killer, so you better deal with him now. I don't know what it is in your life that you need to get rid of. I made a short list. Here goes. Fasten your seatbelt. It could be one of these, or it could be something else, but may God speak to us by His Spirit. For some of us, we have some influences to remove from our lives. We have had some things influence us badly and to too great a degree in our past, and those influences need to go. Some of you may be in high school, and you've got some friends that are not influencing you in the right way, but you're rationalizing it because, well, if I, don't, if I don't have them in my life, how can I... How can I represent Christ to them? Well, my litmus test is always this. If you're more of a positive influence on them than they are a negative influence on you, then keep them in their, your, your lives because you might be able to be an influence for Christ in them. But if they are being more of a negative influence on you, on you than you're being a positive influence on them, you got to get rid of those friendships. May I just say it straight out? Because they're going to take you to hell. And... And there are some things we just need to distance ourselves from. They may be people. They may be online venues. 
Uh, some of us are really getting poisoned badly with our attitudes. We're just all week. We're just social media, just bad attitudes, griping, angry about everything. I mean, you know, that may be a part of your past, up even up till now, but it may need to go, at least to that degree. Some of you have been probably accessing pornography, and I say probably just because statistically it's true in a, in a crowd this size. And you know what? At some point, you've got to deal with that stuff. It's going to drag you down. It's going to ruin your marriage. It's going to it pollutes and contaminates your life. It dehumanizes women. It makes objects out of them. It does everything that is the opposite of the heart of Jesus to nourish life. And, uh, and it's really easy to access. But you need people walking with you probably and you need the deliverance of Jesus and it starts with repentance. But repentance, re repentance isn't just feeling sorry for your sin and asking Jesus to forgive you. That's the starting point of it. But repentance means I actually turn around and go the other way. And that means there is obedience that must accompany true heartfelt repentance. And there's some things you just gotta get rid of. Some of us have influences. In, uh, in our past and even some of those influences that we're still indulging right to now. And God give you the courage to get rid of it because like Joab, it's going to undercut your future and do you very badly. Or maybe there's allegiances you need to renounce. Maybe you've pledged yourself in allegiance to organizations or things that are really standing in the way of your freedom to obey Jesus and to follow him. And, and I especially think of what's so common in so many people's lives in America today, and that's occultic activity, playing with the tarot cards and the Ouija boards and, and, and the supposedly fun seances and just an excessive obsession with witches and black magic and dabbling in white magic and all of these things, uh, going to other countries and buying idols used in pagan idol worship and having them in your homes. I've seen people literally, they're trying to follow Jesus, but they've opened the door to demonic oppression through those things. And I've found, just like I did with someone between services today, a young man who recently came to Jesus and, and realized there was occultic things. And we just prayed a prayer of renunciation. Say, Jesus, pray the prayer of repentance, and then in Jesus' name, I renounce every door that I've opened in my life to the demonic realm. I renounce it in Jesus' name. And I pray you'll wash it, close that door, surround me with your protection, and help me to move forward free from that. Or maybe there's grievances to forgive, and all of us have been hurt. I mean, we we could hear from every one of you in this room about your personal pain from other people. We've all been hurt. And you know, you need to forgive that because forgiveness defies the power of people's past actions towards you from having dominion over your present and your future. When you don't forgive, you just nurse those grievances. It's like collecting baggage. It's like, I travel a lot, but... When I have a lot of luggage to carry with me, it's pretty tough traveling. And some of us are accumulating too much luggage in this life journey. And it's just those grievances. They just keep accumulating. And, and we just kind of seethe in resentment towards them. But we're not defying the power of those past actions that victimized us. We're not defining the power of those things over our future. And forgiveness defies their power. 
Forgiveness says, I let go. And, our, and it goes against every sense of injustice inside of us. Like, well, how are we going to get even? So God, you're just going to let them get away with it. And God says, you let them off your hook, and I'll put them on my hook. And my hook can really take care of people. I'm the God of justice. I will avenge. But you have to get rid of this stuff. And, and, and it's painful stuff. It's hard stuff. I remember when I was pastoring years ago before I came to Central a very influential man in our church um, arranged to have a letter handed to me while I was on the airport to get on a plane to go on my vacation. And it was my annual vacation. And, and it wasn't, the letter was explosive. I couldn't read it till I finally sat down on the plane. I'm about to meet Sandy and my two daughters who had already gone ahead and, and get, just finally get a few days rest. And I opened this letter my heart starts pounding. It was explosive. It resulted in them leaving the church and all kinds of accusations and just all kinds of things. And I felt pain in my stomach. And it was that sickening feel. I'm about to go. My first thought was, there goes my vacation. And it wasn't a vacation. I was on the phone most of the time trying to put out a major fire. But what, what hurt me even more was he seemed to have planned to give it to me to have this envelope delivered to me right while I was on my way to the airport, on my vacation. It was like just a stab. And I remember for days just pacing and saying, oh God, give me grace to forgive. I gotta let this go. My future depends on me letting this go. I don't wanna be a victim of that guy for the rest of my life. I don't like what he did to me to victimize me for the rest. I gotta be free from this. And you know what? Sometimes you just have to make your, yourself, and you don't feel forgiveness at first, but you choose forgiveness, and you stop rehearsing it, and that's the next one. It, maybe there's memories to forget from the past. And you know what? I still recall what he did, but those memories don't have pain anymore. And also, I thought of what he did to me this week, but it was the first time in years I've thought of it. Because at some point, you, you, can't, you can't just choose just to keep rehearsing those memories. I mean, I mean, okay, I've forgiven him, but I can't stop thinking of what he did to me. You know, you got to, you may recall what he did to you or she did to you, but it's got to, you got to leave. What's got to go? <laughs> Your victimization to, of what other people did to you and all the pain with it, it's got to go. And I know it's much easier to say than to do, but it's got to happen. And then there's regrets to let go for, of, you know, and sometimes even our reactions, we later regret, and we made things worse. And, and, but, but, but our Joabs, the, the things that have to go in order to not jeopardize our future, uh, they become these things even that haunt us. I mean, you may, you can just be haunted by that financial decision you made or you didn't make 10 years ago. That job you took or you didn't take 10 years ago. Now you know you made the wrong decision. And all of these regrets just pile up. They're not even things people did to us. They're totally our fault. But, but the regrets just let you go. Do not live as a victim of Joab's in your life. 
And you know why you can be free from it? Because the gospel doesn't start with life. It starts with death. It starts with the death of God's son. And when he died on that cross, he took our past and he took our sin and he took our pain. He met us in our brokenness. The Bible says by his wounds, we can be healed. This is why I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, the, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. The old has what? Gone. It is possible for the destructive elements of our past to go. At least, at least in the way that we still feel guilty and they start controlling our future decisions. I mean, you can't change the events of the past. They're not going to go away but the effects of the past and the guilt of the past. Listen, Jesus makes us new creations. That's why he died before he rose again. And he said, I'll take all of that destructive stuff and all the stuff even you are guilty of in your past. I'm going to take all the Joabs on myself on the cross. And if you'll put your faith in me, I'll make everything new. And the old will die and be gone. So what needs to go? The old needs to go. Those things. Now, the next question that David visits is what needs to stay, what needs to stay from our past. Because your past isn't all pain and bad. Your past is probably mainly good if you're just kind of a normal human being. Unless you've been objected to unusual levels of victimization and abuse, which some people have. But for many people, you know, your past may well involve more wonderful things than bad things. And those are the things you've got to grab even tighter onto. So, what needs to stay? Verse 7 now. He's just finished talking about Joab's got to go. But here's a guy you need to bring in closer, Solomon. But show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, of Barzillai, of Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For they stood with me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Now, David had a number of sons. And David was not a good father. And especially with Absalom, he was pretty absent. He'd go long periods where he'd choose not to see his son. And scriptures tell us he wouldn't provide boundaries for Absalom's behavior, and he never disciplined him. So he was passive as a father, and he was absent. If you are passive and absent as a parent, you will make your children incredibly angry. And this happened to Absalom to the degree that Absalom launched a sedition against his father and actually kicked his father out of town, out of Jerusalem, and took over his throne, David's throne. This is what Absalom did. So, so David is running through the Judean wilderness. It's hot, it's dry. He's got an entourage with him. And they get as far as the Jordan River, and already the resources are being depleted. And this guy by the name of Barzillai comes, and he's bringing his crop, he's bringing food, he's bringing cattle, he's bringing water, he's bringing relief for David. And w w what a blessing that must have been for David. And so David, David says to Solomon, remember Barzillai, because he did me good. And you know, Solomon, it, it would do you well to bring him even in closer. This guy who blessed me several years ago so much, Bring him close. Have him actually dine at your table. Bring him into the royal family circle because that's the kind of person that you need around you. Well, 
that raises numbers of questions for us. So who are the people that we need to keep close to us? Who are the people that through thick and thin, they may not be the most entertaining people in your life, you may not even socialize a lot with them, but they are the people you've learned to trust. If you're smart, you bring those people closest to you. Who is it? Jim Rohn, the famous speaker and, 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 and business consultant. He said, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. I mean, the people we spend the most time with are the ones who shape and affect us. And, and, and he said, you, you need Barzales in your life. You, you need to bring them close. Br br bring them in. Get them at your table. Make a choice about who is in your inner circle. Make a choice. Make wise decisions about who you're spending your time with. Because uh, some things from my past need to stay for the benefit of your future, Solomon. Maybe there's past habits to keep. You know, and not all habits are bad habits. There's many good habits. Some of you had great habits at one time in your life. Some of you got up at 5.30 every morning. And you know what? Every success entrepreneur says says one of the key factors is how you spend your morning, early morning hours, is one of the key definitive factors in success. And, and you know, right now you're sleeping in and things. Maybe, maybe you want to start setting that alarm. Maybe you want to bring a good habit from your past and resurrect that habit. And I don't know what it is, but, but there's things you used to do that really helped you. You, you worked out. You were in better shape physically. I mean, what, whatever it was, let's, maybe there's some, Habits from our past that need to be resurrected. Maybe there's some appreciation to express. That's what, that's what he was telling Solomon to do with Barzillai. Just express appreciation. Just, you know, who in your life would just benefit um, with, with just you not asking them for a favor, but just writing them a note or calling them up or something and saying, I just appreciate the influence you've had in my life. I had a guy do that from my past uh, a year and a half ago in the early months of COVID. And, you know, when people call me, especially from other parts of the country, inevitably, you know, they're looking for mission support or they want me to write an endorsement for their book or they need me to write a reference letter for them. And that's just part of my life. I don't mind doing any of those things. But when someone calls me, I'm always waiting for the ask, right? And I know they'll butter me up a little bit first. Oh, Jim, you're such a great guy. In fact, it would be such an honor if you'd endorse my book, you know. My friend, his name is Chip. My friend Chip called me up, and he said, I've just been thinking this week that there's a handful of people who have been, like, unusually significant and influential in my life, and I just wanted to call you and thank you for being one of those people. And we had the most wonderful talk and at the end, he didn't ask me to endorse his latest book, and he's written some books. He just, he just wanted to say, I appreciate who you've been in my life. And I didn't expect that. I didn't even probably have a felt need for it. But boy, did it mean a lot. And that's a great habit for all of us, to stay appreciative of the good things in our past and the people behind it. And the blessings to remember. Growing up in church, I used to sing this old hymn, Count your blessings. Count them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. You want to stay in faith. You're constantly locking on to God's track record in your life. That's why last week I said, I'd encourage you to go back to the earliest God moments you can remember in your life and then start writing them down because it's so faith-building. 
boy, God, you really were there with me. Boy, God, you know, in my past. And it just builds my faith and my confidence. And then, you know, as you go through all that, you, you start thinking about your life experience and you realize there's lessons to learn from. And some of us are so busy, we never stop and just reflect on like, what did I really learn from that that I just went through? It might have been good, it might have been bad, but what did I learn from it? And, and to learn to reflect, to learn to just listen to God's voice, just to pull away and, and reflect on, on even the blessings of the past. Because David's going to say to Solomon, some things you need to get rid of. You need to get rid of that Joab. He's going to cause you nothing but problems, and he deserves a death penalty. But you need to keep Barzillai close to you, because that's the kind of person you want in your life. He was good to me, and he would do you no end to good in the future. And keep appreciating him, and, uh, and keep going on. So some things we need to stay. And then, and then lastly... We come to the fact that some things don't fit in either category. And uh, some things just flat out need more time. Some things that have brought us up to the present in our past just need more time. We don't know whether to get rid of them or bring them closer. That's just part of life. There's just stuff we scratch our head with, over and go, I just don't know what to do with that yet. So here, here's how David approaches that third category with Solomon. Verse 8. And remember, you have with you Shimai. Say that out loud with me. Shimai. It's a fun word to pronounce. You're all Hebrew scholars right there. Shimai. And, and you have with you, remember, you have somebody in your circle right now. His name is Shimai, son of Gerah, the Benjamite from Bahurim who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. And when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. But now do not consider him innocent. You are a man of wisdom. You will know what to do to him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. So he says, you know, Make sure he doesn't live out his years because he's going to cause you no, tr no end to trouble like he did to me. But yet, but yet, you know, use your wisdom. Use your wisdom in this. Now, Shimei, remember I said that David was being chased out of town by his son Absalom and he met Berzali and Berzali helped him. But on that same trip, as he's running from Jerusalem, he runs into Shimei. And uh, let's just say, um, let's just say that Shimei was of a different political party than David. Nothing more needs to be said. And instead of helping David, like Barzillai did, uh, Shimei picked up fistfuls of dirt and just started throwing it at the king as he went by. And rocks, he'd pick up rocks and he'd throw them. And he was just hurling curses at David at the top of his voice. And so everyone around David is saying, we're going to kill that guy. How dare he do that to the king? I mean, throwing dirt at the king, how disrespectful, cursing him out. We're going to kill that guy. And David said, no, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Let him curse me. Because probably as far as God's concerned, I deserve it. So don't touch him. But he knew the spirit. He knew how committed 
He knew how committed how Shimei was to the previous king, King Saul. And he knew that he would have no tolerance for Solomon's reign. And so he said, you're going to have to deal with it at some point. But it's so interesting how Solomon deals with it. Kind of like David. David didn't say, shut that guy up. He just gave it time. No, don't kill him. And David just went on. He gave it time. And, and so Solomon does exactly the same thing with him. So towards the end of this chapter 2 of 1 Kings, we see what Solomon actually does with um, Shimei. The king sent for Shimei and said to him, verse 36, build yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there, but do not go anywhere else. The day you leave and cross the Kidron Valley, you can be sure you will die. Your blood will be upon your own head. And so Solomon takes the same approach with him, like kind of a hands-off approach. Like, I don't know whether they get rid of you or bring you to my table I'm just going to give you some time, just like King David did. Just give you time. Here's the deal. I'll give you a house in Jerusalem. You can live peacefully here as long as you want, even though you cursed my father out and threw dirt at him. I'm just going to give you time. But if you ever leave this city, it's lights out. And that worked for three years. And then all of a sudden, Shimei leaves town to try to catch some runaway servants and ends up getting killed. And sometimes we just need to give things time. Maybe there's situations we need to let God work out. I know there are situations, and this takes wisdom, you need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've made mistakes here and hurt people, unfortunately, and you may have too. But sometimes taking things into your hands rather than just giving God time to work situations out causes more harm than good. There are times God says step in and confront and deal with things. There are other times where the Lord says you're going to do more harm than good if you get involved. And your sense of justice is screaming, but I've got to fix this. And God says, no, 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 just give this time. Just let me work this out. That's really part of a life of faith. Or maybe there's people that you need to be patient with right now. They're not changing. You're not changing. But it's still going on. Don't we love that word patience? Especially with people. And then promises to hold on to. What's God spoken to you in the past? And you know what? Sometimes life can just kind of be brutal on us. And we lose glimpse of those promises that God spoke to us. When we were alone with him 10 years ago and God's spirit moved on our hearts and he spoke to us. It was a scripture he gave us. It was a promise he gave us. And, and it's just kind of gotten beaten out by life. But God wants to, God wants you to say, no, just hold on. That promise may not be here yet. It, but, but just don't let it go. Just, 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 keep, just keep giving that promise time. Just keep giving it time and let God work. And, and, and maybe there's hurts to be healed. And here's where I want to go back just for a moment because I'm very aware on this Pro-Life Sunday that, that there can be deep pain uh, for those even, even in abortion, let alone many other sins, that can cause incredible damage to our lives. The British Journal of Psychiatry combined 22 independent studies 
that together looked at the lives of almost 900,000 women, 146,000 of whom had had an abortion. And they found that of those 146,000 that had an abortion, they were 81% more likely than the rest of the women to have mental health issues. All the way from suicide ideation to depression to anxiety disorders to the abuse of alcohol and recreational drugs. And I want to tell you, there are some things that just need to be healed in our lives. And if they're not healed yet, don't give up on God. Don't give up on yourself. Some things take some time, even healing. But don't give up on healing. Maybe the hurt people have done to your own heart. Don't give it up. Your own failures in the past, the aftermath of abortion or the aftermath of foolish choices or whatever it be, you're still healing. Don't give up. Some of this takes time. Some of it's instantaneous and some of it takes time. But just let God work it out. Just treat it like a shimai in your life and say, I'm just going to give this time. Just going to let them live in Jerusalem and see what God does. And of course, of course, for all of us, you know, we're all so aware of our limitations. And we sang this morning, I surrender all. And what an amazing thing when we don't even know what to do about our limitations. God, I'm short, I want to be tall. Yeah, well, I'm kind of stuck with being short, right? And that is indeed trivial. But some of us are... You know, there's just some limitations you're faced with now that you have no control over. And if you have no control over and there's nothing you can do, just give it time and don't give up on God. Because here's our closing, here's our closing verses. Philippians chapter 1, in the New Testament, in light of Christ, not only are we that new creation where the old goes and the new comes, but here it is, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, verse 6, Paul writes, I am confident of this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I absolutely love that verse. I'm confident. If he was writing me, say, Jim Bradford, I'm not confident in you, but I'm confident in my God. And in your past, he started a good work in you. And there, if you stay just open to him. There's no reason he's going to stop today. He said, he started a good work in your past, and I am confident he's going to continue that stuff. That's taking some time. He's going to continue it until literally the day Jesus comes back again, if you're still alive when that happens. He is not going to stop now. I thank God. I doubt myself half the time. But my confidence is in a God who said to me, you can trust me that I'm not going to stop. And there's things still in process. There's things in your life that still need more time. But you can be confident of this. What I started, I'm going to finish. And you can count on that. And if you would just cooperate with me, let go of some things, draw some other things a little closer to you, and, and the rest of it, trust me to take care of what's in process right now. And I won't stop now. I'd like you to stand with